This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. This morning, I want to also thank the parents for for pouring into your kids and, and, and doing the things necessary so they can be impacted by Jesus. Um, because it's so important. I mean, it's so important that the church has actually created a term for this called generational transfer. Um, it's when the, the generation uh, before someone instills a culture of faith that that pours into the next generation. And, and that's what we're trying to do here at Vortex and, and what we're trying to do with, with the kids here at Vortex is we're trying to create that culture of generational transfer. And it's, it's so important that LifeWay did a research study and they came back with a lot of staggering statistics that I want to share with you this morning before we get started. I'm just going to read these out. 70% of teenagers, 70% of teenagers will leave the faith within a year of graduating high school. 70%. And only 35% of those will eventually return. 7 in 10 Christians, ages 18 to 30, who went to church regularly in high school, said that they quit attending by age 23. And only 34% of those that they uh, even, they only returned sporadically by the age of 30. You see, that means that one in four Christian people, ages 18 to 30, have left the church. 25% of people 18 to 30 who are like regularly attended in high school are not in church anymore. That is, that is a sobering statistic. And it hurts, it hurts my heart. But it also challenges me. And I think in all of us, it should create a sense of urgency. Because I think that it's up to us to do something about it. I think it's up to us to take action. So that the 25% of the kids who are just up here on stage, that according to the statistics are going to walk away from the church, I think it's up to us to ensure that that doesn't happen. So this morning, I want to talk about that and what it takes to do that. Before we get started, I'm going to do something. I'm going to pray. So let's bow our heads and pray. God, I just thank you so much for showing us what it means this morning to worship with a heart that is free and that is just going after you relentlessly. God, I ask that you help us this morning to, to take into account how important it is for us to model the life of Jesus to our kids, to our grandkids, to the students in our classrooms, and to the kids that we impact on a daily basis. God, I ask that you be with me, that you would speak through me this morning, that anything I have to say, that it just be left out and that you just speak through me. God, I ask that your kingdom come and your will be done this morning. Amen. So, how do we instill a faith in the next generation? or create a culture that says we should live like Jesus. Uh, well, I can't stress enough to you the importance of living out your faith at home, at work, at school. 
You living out Jesus is the most important aspect of instilling faith in the next generation. Because how can we expect children and teenagers to live out a faith that they aren't seeing be lived out by the generation before them? I'm going to say that again. How can we expect our children and our teenagers to live out a faith that they aren't seeing be lived out at home or by the older generation? How do we pass on life-giving relationships uh, with Jesus and a strong faith in God when we don't have them for ourselves? How do we pass on a life-giving relationship with Jesus if we don't have it for ourselves? Simply put, you can't. You can't. Because you cannot lead where you have not gone, and you cannot give what you do not have. You cannot give your kid a relationship with Jesus that you never had for yourself. So this morning, I want to talk about what it means to have a strong faith in God and to create a culture in your household and in our schools and in our church even of what it means to live out of faith that is representative of what we believe in. So before we get started, I want to define faith first because I feel like a lot of times we, we combine faith with another word that both are equally as important but they mean very different things, and, and that's the difference between faith and salvation. See, faith is the assurance, knowing that God and His promises are true and will happen, even if unseen. Let me repeat that. Faith is the assurance that the things revealed and promised in the Bible and from God are true and will happen, even if unseen. That's what faith is. It's knowing. It's, it's trust. It's, it's, it's the assurance that knowing who God is and who He says He is and what He will do. See, salvation, or our freedom from the sins that we have committed, is not based on what we do. Your salvation isn't based on what you do. Your salvation is based on who you've given yourself to, who you've submitted your life to. Salvation is submission. It's relationship, right? It's, it's repentance. It's, it's believing God is who he says he is. Salvation can't be earned by action. But our faith is the action. Our faith is the action behind what we believe in. Our faith is the action behind our salvation. Let me give you an example. If someone told you to be generous, but they were like Mr. Krabs from Spongebob, which is, by the way, the best cartoon ever. And a lot of you parents are like crumbling in your seats, like, no, it's Yogi the Bear or Popeye the Sailor Man. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's SpongeBob. And all the older folks are like, who's a SpongeBob? But anyway, so someone tells you to be generous, and yet they never give anything away. Do they actually believe you should be generous? Or how about this? Someone tells you you should be kind, and you should live a life of kindness. But yet, they're the most mean, condescending, judgmental people you've ever met. Do they actually believe you should be kind? Like it. If you say you should be a Christian, that you should have a relationship with Jesus, but you don't live a life reflective of that, are you? Because based on the definition of the word, you aren't. 
You see, faith is the action taken in response to God and His promises. Faith is the action taken in response to God and His promises. This morning, I'm going to read a little bit out of a book that uh, essentially tells us what faith is and how important it is to our life and the, the people who are around us and why it's important for all of us. Um, but before I do, I'm going to steal an introduction to a book that uh, Pastor Kevin did a few weeks back. So I'm going to do my best impression of Pastor Kevin. Here we go. Imagine. That was a really bad impression. So I'm not going to do an impression. Imagine uh, that today, archaeologists, Bible scholars, and theologians from around the world found these scrolls buried in the sand in the Middle East, and they, they pull these scrolls out the ground, and they, they read them, and they, they verify them to be 100% accurate, and they know for a fact that they were written by a sibling of Jesus Christ himself. And they were like, wow, this is essentially a handbook on how to be a Christian. This is amazing. We're going to print these, and we're going to put them uh, on the presses tonight, and tomorrow they're available to you. Would you go out and buy that book? Me too. It's pretty cool, man. And it's available to us. It's actually, we have it. It's called the book of James. James was the brother of Jesus, walked with him every day he was alive. And he wrote a book in the New Testament that essentially is just a handbook on how to be a Christian. Very confrontational, very forward, but so rich with truth. And he writes in, in James chapter 2, verse 14, he says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? What good is it to say you have faith but not show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see your brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. One translation says, Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Excuse me. So when we look at what it means to live with a faith that is alive and not dead, we need to not look any further than Jesus' life. Jesus lived out a life of action. He was a man of action. He took action in his faith. A lot of people think Jesus was passive, but everything he did was done with intentionality. Let me prove it to you. Say in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus shows us how to take action for our relationship with God. He went on a little further and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me. Yet, your will to be done, not my own. I'm going to read that again. He went on a little further and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. So you read that and you're like, what is, what is the action behind that? Well, let me explain the context a little bit. See, this verse was written right in the midst of Jesus facing the greatest trial anyone has ever faced. In the moment of his greatest despair. You see, right before, the, uh, when this verse was written, right after it, Jesus was taken by the Roman soldiers to be brutally beaten beyond recognition. And then hung on a cross and murdered. 
and he knew it was coming. So what does he do? Rather than freaking out and, and trying to, to run away and, and try and handle the problem himself, what does he do? He prays. He sought out the kingdom of heaven. He falls on his face in the midst of his greatest trial and says, God, please let this cup pass from me. But then he does something even more action-based, something that is it, it, so heavy. He submits everything to God. And when I say everything, he literally submits his life to God and says, yeah, but your will be done and not mine. That is action. Praying in the midst of his greatest despair and submission to God. The second point of action that Jesus took was he took action in serving others. Mark chapter 10, verse 43. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, when I read that, I, I'm seeing the fact that every cycle of oxygen that went through the lungs of Jesus while he was here on earth was done with intentionality. Every breath Jesus took was done with intentionality because he lived a perfect, sinless life. Every thought he had was pure. Every action he took was done in servanthood because he knew in order for him to sacrifice himself so that we could spend eternity with him, everything had to be just right. Every circumstance, every decision, every, every breath was done with intentionality. And he did it and then gave it all to us. He took action in serving others. He just gave himself away so that we wouldn't have to go through the same thing he did. So we look at Jesus and we say, well, how can I live out my faith? How can I live out my faith today, here? How can I instill a culture in my household that promotes faith to my kids and my grandkids? How can I do that in my classroom to my students? How can I do that at work with my coworkers? How can I live out my faith? Well, let's do what Jesus did. Simply put, let's look at what Jesus did and let's apply it to our lives. Point of action number one, we take, relationship, we take action in our relationship with God. We take action in our relationship with God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus is preaching. This is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a beautiful few verses or a few chapters in the book of Matthew. And in the sermon, he says, So don't worry about these things saying, What will we eat or what we drink or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of heaven above all else. Seek the kingdom of God first. In the midst of your greatest despair, in the midst of your greatest trial, when you're facing that, that, that first week of school and you're, and you're scared to death of your, for your kids and, and you drop your kids off at school and you're crying the whole way home because you're worried about your baby, seek the kingdom of heaven. 
when that, that great financial struggle hits you in the, in the middle of the month and you know that payday is not for another two or three weeks and you're worried what you're going to put on the plate for your kids, seek the kingdom of heaven. That's how you build an intimate relationship with God. And a lot of people, when we talk about building intimate relationships with God and, and seeking the kingdom of heaven, a lot of pastors will immediately go to uh, prayer and, and devotion and, and, and spending time in worship. And all of those things are very important and essential to living a Christian life. All of those sacrifices of prayer and worship are so essential. But this morning I want to talk about something that the Bible even says is more than sacrifice. To obey. The Bible says to obey is more than sacrifice. So yes, while prayer and devotion is all important, most of the time your intimacy with God can be measured by obedience. By obedience. That time between where God commands you to do something and the moment you take action. That span is the measurement of your intimacy with God. How many of you are happy with your kids after they wait three or four days to clean their room after you told them to clean the room? I know my parents were never happy with me when I waited three or four days to clean my room. Because it's about obedience. That shows your level of, of love and trust and respect and, and honor for God in the same way it is for your own parents. And I throw around that term being intimate and having an intimate relationship with God a lot. And I want to explain what I mean by that because when we talk about intimacy, I'm using this like close to, like I'm using like spatial language, like close to or near to or deep with. And a lot of us use that when we're even talking like about our friends. Like I'm close to this person or I feel near to this person or we go deep with each other. Like we have a close intimate relationship with, with each other. But we all know that, that when we, we use that term, it's not spatial, but it's relational. It's relational. You could be sitting right next to someone at the DMV and really don't want to know anything about that person. But you can live 4,000 miles away from your kid and still feel that nearness to them, feel that intimacy with them, that love for them. Or you could spend 4,000 4, miles all the way across the country from your childhood best friend. But when you all call on the phone, it's like you, you can't skip the beat. We all know that. We all feel that. And that's because it was built on trust. See, intimacy is built on trust. Intimate relationships are built on trust. So an intimate relationship with God is built on trust. And that deep level of trust that we have for God is what I'm talking about. That's our faith. That's our faith. The trust. One of the people that I can say through my entire life that I've, I've never questioned my trust for, she's here today, my mom. Did everyone say, hi, mom? Hi, mom. I've always trusted my mom. I know that she's always had the best intentions for me. I know that anytime I'm afraid or anytime that I need something, I, I can trust her. Because she's never made me doubt whether I needed to trust her or not. And you know what? It's, it's, 
to me, if I had a relationship with God that was like, if I like going up to a light switch and turning it on and knowing that the lights are going to turn on, if I had that level of trust that I had uh, for God, the overflow from that, you know, the Bible lists out these things in Galatians chapter 5 called the fruits of the Spirit. And it's essentially a bunch of characters of God, like characteristics of God, excuse me. A bunch of characteristics of God. And it lists them out like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And all of those things are available for us when we spend time with Him, obeying Him. Spending a life pursuing him. Because we tend to resemble those who we spend a lot of time with, right? We, we even pick up the mannerisms of the people we're closest to. And it's the same thing when we spend time building an intimate trust, an intimate relationship with God. We tend to take on his character. And when I see those things listed out, I see one that, to me, when I trust in God wholeheartedly, I feel like would, would probably come to the forefront is peace. Peace. Imagine that level of peace we could walk with and how we could apply it in our relationships, in our marriages, in our, in our workspace. Imagine bringing that peace and how much easier it would be to, do, to take that second action, taking action and serving others. Taking action and serving others is the, the second point of action that we can take. It's what Jesus did, right? How many of y'all have had someone who's greatly influenced your life by serving you? How many of y'all can think of someone, raise your hands, if, if you've had someone who has gone above and beyond to serve you? Everyone, everyone has someone like that who did just something, whether it be uh, fulfilling a need that you had or going out of their way to make you feel loved. And, and all of us see the character that those people walked out, and we, and we want that for ourselves. We want to be that person for someone else. See, we, we have a verse to look at that's a commandment that tells us to do that, to be that person. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, Each of you, every one of you, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others peace to serve others or patience as faithful stewards good managers of God's grace in its various forms each of you should use whatever gift when I read that I realize that we all have something to offer every one of us Pastor Kevin talks about time, talent, and treasure, and that we all have them, but some of us have them in, in various amounts. Some of us have more treasure than we have talent, and some of us have more time than we have treasure. But we all have something to offer. And it's up to us to be faithful managers, to faithful stewards of those gifts that God has given us so that we can use those things to serve others. I'm going to tell a story real quick about one of, uh, one of our volunteers that are here this morning. They're probably going to laugh a little bit. I'm not going to say his name, but he'll probably tell on himself here in a second. But a few weeks ago, I took our middle and high school boys camping. We went camping out at Morrow Mountain, which is a beautiful place. And we went out on a Friday afternoon, and we were, we were setting up camp, and uh, some of the kids went like hiking. Some of the kids went down to the water to go fishing. 
Uh, a few of us were like playing games around the campsite. We ate hot dogs and stuff that night over the fire. Um, it was just a good time. But when we were setting up tents and stuff, I, 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 sleep, I sleep in a hammock when I go camping. And, and I decided that I was going to make a little rain fly, uh, just like a tarp, just in case like the dew fell heavy. Like being from Charleston, South Carolina and, and going camping when I was a kid, like I know even the dew can come kind of like fall kind of hard and, and you get wet sleeping in a, in a hammock. So I was going to set some stuff up to, to make sure that I stayed dry. And a few other kids saw me doing it. It was like, Allie, I'm going to do that too. Hey, can you help me set up a tarp over my tent? Sure. And some people went out and like put waterproofer on their tent. This is what you do. You know. Uh, some kids just didn't. Some people just didn't have the greatest setup because they, you know, just good Christians or something. I don't know. Just believed in Jesus. And uh, we, you know, Morrow Mountain has like a lights out at 10 o'clock rule. We did not follow that rule. It was like we were partying right on to like midnight. And we finally were all getting in bed. And we finally all got in our tents. And it's nighttime. Like it's sleep time. Trying to get all the kids settled down. And around 1230, God showed his faithfulness. <laughs> Through the greatest storm to ever hit planet Earth, just over Morrow Mountain, I mean, all of you in Stanley County, y'all didn't even get a, a drip of water, and we're getting soaking wet. Like someone who grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, in the hurricane quarter, where I ain't ever seen anything like this. This was ridiculous. To the point to where I'm sleeping in my hammock, and I'm looking underneath my hammock, and I see like two inches of water, just like water falling down the hill. And, you know, we had kids running around acting crazy for a little bit, but everyone kind of settled down. And the next morning... I'm like checking on everyone after a long night of rain. And my volunteer, who was helping me out that weekend, uh, I, in his tent was like a inch to two inch like puddle of water. And like we had kids, I'm telling you, I kid you not, not making this up. I had a kid bring me his pillow that morning to load it up when we were leaving. His pillow weighed 15 pounds. Y'all are laughing. I'm not joking. Imagine sleeping in a 15, on a 15-pound water pillow. It's gross. Yeah, it's gross. And I was expecting wholeheartedly for people to be complaining and be miserable. And be like, Mom, come get me. It's raining. But I'll tell you all something, man. I saw something in my volunteer that day that resembled Jesus. I saw someone manage their time, talent, and treasure in a way that these kids saw Jesus being lived out by another man. I didn't hear a single complaint. I saw joy that was unmatched. And I saw a, like an entire culture change. And I saw the actions of one man making an impact on all of your kids' lives. That's the eternal eternal because he took a Friday afternoon away from his family to come out and go camping with us and when everything went bad he served in the midst of it and it changed lives forever what are we going to do in our life that impacts the next generation what are we going to do in our life that impacts the people that we have direct influence on? 
This is so important. So important. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. A man's about to ask Jesus a question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Taking action for our relationships with God. It's the first and greatest commandment. God is telling us through Jesus right here that you cannot live a Christian life without taking, relation, taking action in your relationship with God. It's the first and greatest commandment. Then Jesus continues. And what I love about this is like the guy asked for one commandment. He said, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, so mine. And then he says, and the second one, I can kind of imagine like the guy like turning to walk away like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. And he turns, and then Jesus is like, but the second one is equally as important. The second one is equally as important. Love thy neighbor as yourself. Taking action and serving others. So he's also telling us that you cannot live a life as a Christian without taking action and serving others. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on those two commandments. Our entire life are supposed to model that. All of our lives are supposed to model that. You see, the faith that we live out may be the only exposure to Jesus people may ever see. I'm going to ask a few questions this morning as I close. That I, I encourage you, write these questions down. And to pray over them and mull over them and answer these. Answer these. When I, or excuse me, when am I, what am I, what am I, sorry, gosh, what am I willing to do? What am I willing to do? To what lengths am I willing to go to build an intimacy to him? What am I willing to do to build an intimacy to him? To obey him? To know him? To shorten that distance between the time God tells me to do something and I take action? What am I willing to do? The next question. What legacy will we leave the next generation? What legacy will we leave the next generation? How will our generation be remembered by our kids, our grandkids, the students in our, in our student ministry here? The kids at Vortex Kids, what legacy will we leave them? If you died today, what would your kids and your grandkids say of who you were? If you died today, what would your students at school say of you? If you died today, what would your coworkers say of you? 
and who you were? Would they, would they mention the fact that you made God the center of your life? That man, he loved Jesus with all of his heart, all of his soul, with all of his mind. And he served me so well that I gave my life to Jesus. Or is God secondary in your life? And the last question, what will we have sacrificed and how will we have obeyed so that our ceiling, the highest point in our relationship with God that we ever reached, how will we make that the floor for the next generation to walk on? What are we going to do to set that ceiling high? And to elevate our kids closer and closer to Jesus. All of these things can be answered by one of two things. Action or inaction. Obeying what God has commanded us to do through his word or being passive. And just letting our kids experience life with not allowing our, or not taking responsibilities ourselves to introduce them to their Savior. To live a life that follows the commands of Jesus and to serve others or allow our coworkers to just guess who what we believe in. In a, genera- in a time, and I'm a part of this, even though I'm younger, I, I, I completely am old enough to understand this. In a time where it's so easy, so easy to blame the younger generation for all of society's issues, it's so much easier to do that than actually take responsibility and do something about the 25% of kids who are going to not follow Jesus and to walk away from the church, even though they attended church. It's up to us to take responsibility. Just because we're old doesn't mean we stop loving God. And just because we're older doesn't mean we stop caring that other people love God. It's up to us to take responsibility. to love each other. Jesus said to his disciples, this is, this is not far from when Jesus is going to face the cross. He leaves them with one commandment. And you know what he says? He says, each of you love each other as I have loved you. Love everyone as I have loved you. Love everyone as I have loved you. That's the the one thing he left us with. One commandment he left us with. Just love everyone as I've loved you. How did he love us? You see, Jesus, from the moment he was born, he lived the perfect sinless life. And he lived an entire life living, living out a model for us to follow. And one day, he was challenged to put on all of our sin, like a vest, 
all of our sin, and man, it was heavy. And he carries our sin to this post that he's chained to and that he's beaten, re- beaten on relentlessly. Over and over again, just whipped, 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 whipped so that that vest would shred off his body. He says, I'm going to kill this thing for you. But I got to wear it. And he takes it up on a cross and is brutally murdered so that we wouldn't have to. That's how he loved us. And I want you to understand this morning, if you're here, I want you to understand that the story doesn't change even if you were here by yourself. If you, if you were the only person left on earth, just you, there's no one else here. And you still made mistakes and you still fell short, but it was just you. Jesus would still make the same sacrifice so that he can spend an eternity with just you. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.